Hello, hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a great episode on human design. If you are not familiar with human design, this will be a great little um, intro to human design. So I interview Brie Rubin, who is a human design specialist, artist, yoga teacher, and coach. In addition to giving readings and providing ongoing integration support, she currently works for My Body Grass and Jovian Archive, the official library of primary source human design material. This was a really fun conversation. I found out about human design a couple of years ago and have been super intrigued about it ever since, actually considering getting some more training and um, interested to maybe potentially even give readings one day myself. Who knows? But yeah, I think you guys are going to love this episode and Bree just has so much wisdom around human design and so I'd really be curious to hear what you all have to think about it and if you're familiar with human design, what you learned and if you're not, what you're taking away from this episode and just so you know, you can all look up your human design chart on Jovian Archive, the website, and all you have to know is your birth time and obviously your birth date. And so I encourage you to pull up your chart and follow along. Also, if it does pique your interest, I highly encourage you to book a reading with Bree. She just has so much wisdom. I learned so much in this episode. Tried to ask, you know, a combination of questions that were relevant to all different types and also, you know, some obviously about my own chart. But if you're curious to dig more into your chart, you should absolutely book a reading with her. And yeah, I just wanted to remind everyone that I am still offering Reiki sessions. This is something that I'm not promoting anywhere else. So if you leave a written review for the podcast and screenshot it on Apple Podcasts and email it to me or send it to me on Instagram, then I will give you a free 30-minute Reiki session. And yeah, this is just really exciting because I love doing distance Reiki sessions in particular, and it just is a nice like cleansing way to get in touch with your energy body. And uh, so it's a really exciting offer. Like I said, I'm not offering it anywhere else. So if you are interested, you can email me at of the essence with Liz at gmail.com or reach out on Instagram. And I just appreciate you all for listening so much. And I love you all. And I hope that you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today. We have Brie Rubin. She is a coach and a human design expert. Welcome, Brie. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat today. So I really would love to know, um, well, first of all, for those who are not familiar with human design, can you just give a quick definition of what that is? So human design is the science of human differentiation. And basically what that means is it's a map of how you are unique. So it basically shows how your energy operates. It shows the parts of you that are reliable and consistent. It shows how you're designed to make your best decisions and connect to your embodied wisdom. And it also shows you where you're the most vulnerable to conditioning. So in its essence, human design is all about um, 
living authentically. So becoming aware of and breaking free from your conditioning so that you can move through the world based on your true self and the part of you that is actually you. Amazing. I love that. And how did you find human design and decide to pursue that as a life path? I was told about it twice before I looked it up. The second time I was told about it, actually both times, it was people who thought that I might be a projector, which is very interesting in retrospect. I'm a manifester. But as soon as I saw my shirt, I was just instantly hooked. I needed to find out everything that I could about it. And it just kind of took me. I had another job at the time, but I wasn't supervised super well. So I was just looking up human design charts. I was working with college students. So I was constantly asking them their birth info and kind of like studying them and asking them questions. So it just kind of, once I found it, it was very clear that this was my focus. I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. I remember I heard about human design. I think it was through Ellie through Desire on Fire, actually. And I found out that I was a projector which I thought was really interesting and also really gave me the allowance because I did kind of feel like I couldn't really keep up with the world in a way and I was always needing more rest. And so I really wanted to dive into it after I found that out. So can you talk a little bit about like the energy types versus non-energy types and what that means? Yeah, so there are... Four main types in human design, generators, projectors, manifestors, and reflectors. And generators also includes manifesting generators. Essentially, they're one category because they have this open enveloping aura. They have this magnetism. Generators are 70% of the planet, split half and half between manifesting generators and pure generators. But essentially, these are people who are here to work. Um, they are energy types. Manifestors are also energy types, but it works a little bit differently. So generators are people who have this consistent energy to build, to create, to do. Not very much would get done if it weren't for generators. And for generators, their task in life is all about unlearning their conditioning around living from obligation or living from their mind, doing things that they're actually a no to or trying to initiate things. And instead, these are people who are here to really surrender to their magnetism and just do what they're responding to, really honor their body's responses to life and let that take them in the direction that they're meant to go in and feel really satisfied using their energy. So we live in a generator world. There's kind of this generator model. We all should be able to wake up and have this full tank respond to life, get things done. But then there are other types like projectors. You're a projector and projectors are one of the non-energy types, but I've heard them also called awareness types, which I kind of like better. But essentially projectors aren't here to do all the doing. Your energy, well, your, the value that you bring is in guiding the energy of others. It's not so much in exerting all of this energy yourself. So you specifically have a very driven projector design. So I could imagine that that might be challenging because you have all this drive, but you don't always have that energy to sustain all of that drive. And we have this overall generator conditioning that says, in order to be successful, you have to work hard. So being a projector, a lot of that is about unlearning that conditioning and really breaking free from that and aligning with a new path to success, which involves really taking care of yourself honoring your energy levels, honoring the ebbs and flows, because 
the more that you're practicing self-care, the more clear and potent your awareness is going to be when you do show up. Versus if you're trying to work like a generator, you get kind of foggy. So manifestors are 9% of the population and we're called energy types, but also our energy kind of comes and goes in bursts and it's all about impact. So manifestors tend to be trailblazers. Manifestors are the only type designed to initiate action. So because of that, we can be very unpredictable. And for us, it's all about learning how to know that we have impact, pay attention to our impact and inform those who will be impacted by our actions in order to eliminate resistance. But there also is that similarity for manifestors. And we also have an undefined sacral like projectors. So it's about learning how to honor those ebbs and flows of energies. And it's a totally different way of operating in the world. Reflectors are 1% of the population. If you see a reflector chart, it stands out instantly because all of the centers are open. And reflectors are these totally unique beings. A reflector reading is unlike any other reading, but essentially they're here to be these objective evaluators. They're very sensitive to their environment and they have also been called messengers of the gods. Essentially, they're very sensitive to the transits more so than they are to other people. And reflectors are here to play a really unique role. Just having a reflector as part of a group makes the process go by more smoothly. But also you can kind of see how a group is doing based on how the reflectors are doing. So if you have a lot of happy reflectors in a group, that's a really good sign. If you have reflectors who are kind of um, like funky and falling apart, that's something to really pay attention to. That's so interesting. And I know that you mentioned I had a particularly driven projector chart. Mm -hmm. I feel like I do feel that because I feel very kind of torn even when I want to rest. You know, I've gotten a lot better at allowing myself to do this, but I almost feel like or I've felt in the past that I'm defined by what I am getting done and like what I am bringing to the world. And so that can be really hard to like remove myself from that and be like, no, it is okay to rest. Mm -hmm. And that's super interesting about reflectors. My niece is a reflector actually. Oh, wow. And yeah, I'm kind of curious, do you have any tips on parenting a reflector or anything maybe that like a reflector should know um, since they are so rare in this world? So for reflectors, environment is everything. So really making sure that as a parent, your reflector child has a room that feels good to them if they feel good in their school or wherever it is that they go. Because reflectors are super sensitive to environment. And if they're in an environment that's correct for them, that is the key to them being able to feel good in this world. But also reflectors, it's just this totally different way of being. So whereas if you look at any other chart, there's this juxtaposition between definition and openness. So basically you have some centers colored in, that's your definition. And then you have some centers that are open or white. So most people have this fixed definition, something that they can count on. They have this quality where it's like, okay, this is me. And whereas with reflectors, they don't have that. So instead of this, like, this is me, this is not me, let's break free from what's not me and become what's me and what I can count on, it's just this totally different orientation of not trying to define themselves in any way. So it is kind of a mystical way of being in the world, just so open, so surrendered, letting life surprise you, not identifying with any of the different environments that you're sampling, any of the different people's energies, like, embracing this way of constantly changing. Um, it's kind of mystical. 
Definitely. And I love that it takes like they're supposed to wait a whole moon cycle before making any big decisions, right? Yeah, it's pretty wild. And being a reflector to actually radically live as a reflector or any design, that would be very radical. But there are just little shifts that you can make. So you don't have to start tracking your lunar cycle in order to like you can. A lot of reflectors go in that direction and find that really helpful. But also just having that awareness and that permission to honor your sensitivity to place can be huge for reflectors. And just having that validation that, oh, yeah, the reason why I felt so different is because there actually is something so different about how my energy operates. And that permission to make decisions over time, to not know in the moment, to experiment with that. The basics can be really helpful, too. Mm -hmm. Is it equally important for all energy types to decondition in some way or is it more important for certain energy types it's important for everyone and you can do it to the level that feels helpful and supportive in your life most people honestly don't want to be fully deconditioned that's radical because we are naturally like you can live a very happy fulfilling life while still being a product of your environment in some ways so it's to whatever degree you want to start letting go of that conditioning because the more that you let go of your conditioning and align with your uniqueness, the weirder your life gets. So it's kind of choose your own adventure with that. I love that. So do you have any tips for people who are maybe getting into human design and want to start deconditioning themselves? So getting into human design, it's a lot of information. I definitely recommend getting a reading because there are just so many parts of the chart that you can kind of drag yourself crazy trying to figure it all out on your own. But start with the basics. So strategy and authority, you don't actually have to know about all of your gates and channels and any of that. Just knowing your strategy and authority can make a huge difference in your life. So for instance, if you are a sacral generator, knowing that your strategy is to respond and your authority is sacral, so trusting your gut really honoring that mm -hmm. or mm -mm. or just this rising in life force from the sacral center or this contraction getting really in touch with that part of your body you don't really have to know that much about the details of your chart to just start experimenting with that um, but also starting with the open centers so whenever you have a center open in human design there's a conditioning theme there so 70 percent of people on this planet have an open ego center and the conditioning theme for the open ego center is thinking that you have something to prove. So part of deconditioning is really breaking free from that thought that might be running your life. Oh, I have to prove myself. And the open centers kind of collude. So if you have an open ego and an open sacral, it's I have to prove myself by working really hard and I don't know when enough is enough. That's the theme of the open sacral. So starting to pay attention to those different themes and notice when those thoughts are coming in. And instead of making decisions based on that, so an example for you, as a splenic projector, you're here to trust your instinct, your intuition in the moment, and your strategy is to wait for the invitation. So it might be that at work, you're asked to take on an extra task, and intuitively, you're a no to it. You're not excited by it. You just get this instinct. You, you don't want to do it. But then the open ego steps in and the open sacral steps in. So the open ego saying like, oh, I want to prove what a hard worker I am. And the sacral center like doesn't know when enough is enough. So then there's the open emotional center that doesn't want to upset anybody. So it's all of those open centers are colluding 
And then you're doing things that you don't want to do. So it's about starting to become aware of those patterns that you have and to notice them without allowing them to influence your decisions. And it can be really scary sometimes, but ultimately it's so freeing. Yeah. And how, I guess it would just be kind of tuning into your intuition to know which invitations are right, but how would you take action in a way where you're like still in line with, with my strategy, if that makes any sense? Like, what can I do in the meantime as I'm waiting for the invitation? So waiting for the invitation for projectors applies to the big decisions in life. So it doesn't mean that if you're hungry, you have to wait for somebody to invite you to go eat lunch. It means if it comes to a relationship or a work collaboration or job or like somewhere that you're moving, like those big decisions, typically those come into your life through an invitation. But in the meantime, it is just trusting your intuition, doing what feels right in your body and really paying attention to where the themes of those open centers come in and start to distract you and coming back to your body, coming back to your intuition. Um, so I really recommend anybody who's experimenting with human design isn't just thinking about it and journaling about it all the time, but you have embodied practices that you're doing because that's absolutely essential. When you notice yourself getting into your mind to know what practices work for you, it's different for different people. For you, I would imagine you have a root to spleen connection, which means that exercise can be really good for you. I don't know if you like exercise or not, but just different things. Like for some people, it's running or yoga or breath work or whatever it is. Things that connect you to your body and get you out of your mind and just prioritizing that. I do love exercise. It's yeah, definitely one of the main things that helps me to feel less cerebral and connect yeah. my body. And I'm curious, as you were speaking about that, I just became curious about like relationships between different energy types. Are there certain relationships that would maybe work out better than others or certain that would not be advised? Or is it kind of like, you know, astrology where like everything is kind of taken with a grain of salt? I get this question all the time and people really want to know. The answer is with everything in human design, don't get in your head about it, honor your strategy and authority. So any relationship can be correct with awareness. There's definitely a benefit to having similarities in relationships. So if you were with another splenic projector, there would just be a certain similarity there. Or if you were with another 3-5, there's a certain harmony in the way that you move through the world and the way that your energy operates. But also there can be something attractive and exciting about being with another type. So any relationship can work. It just requires awareness about your differences. So for instance, you are emotionally open, which means that you're very receptive to other people's emotions. If you were to be in a relationship or friendship or any sort of bond with somebody who's emotionally defined, you feel their emotions very strongly. So understanding that mechanic can allow that connection to go more smoothly without blame and can allow for healthier communication when emotions come up. And also just if you were to be dating a manifesting generator, they would have a lot more energy than you. So just knowing that it's not a bad thing. It's just having awareness around that so you know that there's nothing wrong. It's just you're different. So it, any relationship can work. It just requires awareness and communication. 
Great answer. So I am curious about the profile type as well. You mentioned that I'm a three, five, which I know is the great experimenter. Um, <laughs> but I don't know that much about the whole profile type and how can someone discern if they're looking at their numbers, what this means? So it should say if you get your chart on Jovian Archive or My Body Graph, it has a segment for profile, but basically it's made up of your personality, sun and earth. So if you look on either side of your chart, you'll see each of the planets. So there's a number and then there's a decimal point, then the number after it's one through six. So that makes up the first number in your profile and then your design sun and earth. So this is basically because the sun and the earth, similar to astrology, make up 70% of your programming. So that's what makes up your profile. So there are two numbers. Yours is the 3-5 profile. So your personality is the third line, the murder, and your body or your unconscious frequency is the heretic. So you have a very fun profile. It's the most material of all the profiles, but essentially the third line personality is all about trial and error. So you live life in this very messy, hands-on way, constantly experimenting. Life bumps into you. You bump into life. There's this theme of bonds made and broken. Um, and there's also this incredible resilience that you have because of all that you've experimented with and learned. So for the third line, it really is all about reframing mistakes, knowing that as long as you're learning, it's all part of this discovery process. So even when you are honoring your strategy and authority, you're going to make mistakes, but they're going to be the correct mistakes that will serve you in ultimately externalizing what you're here to externalize. So that comes from the fifth line. The fifth line is the heretic. So on an unconscious level, your body wants to bring practical solutions. Your body has something that it wants to externalize. So the role that you're here to play is that you experiment with everything. You really try all sorts of different things. And then you bring forth this practical solution that works where nothing else has worked. The challenge with the fifth line can be that people project onto you a lot. So people meet you and they feel like you can fix them. You can save them. You have something for them. Oh, maybe you'd be really good at this. So it's really healthy for you to be able to differentiate, especially as a projector between does this person truly see me and recognize me? Can I actually fulfill this? Am I actually invited here for who I am? Or are they just projecting onto me? Because if you give in to what you think is an invitation, but it's actually just a projection, that's when your third line goes and does its thing. And then people are disappointed because they projected that you would do something else. So it's a fun profile to have. Yeah, that's so interesting. I resonate with a lot of that, but it's it's interesting how one of them is unconscious, kind of like in the body, and then one is more of like what I mentally associate myself with being. Um, and I really do associate myself with being such a like trial and error person. I'm kind of always making mistakes, but like feeling like I'm still on my way. So, <laughs> and what what's your profile? I'm a one three. So we have the third line in common, but for me, it's unconscious. But my first line is the investigator and the one three. They say that it's the most self-absorbed of all the profiles, which has been very permission giving just to admit that about myself and um, start to see the impact of it and not shame it. But the first line is the investigator. So it's all about going deep establishing a strong foundation, becoming an authority in whatever it is that you're here to become an authority in. 
And there can be this kind of tension sometimes between the first line and the third line, because whereas the first line just wants the strong foundation, the third line goes and does its thing and bumps into things, makes and breaks bonds. But together, it's this combination of experimentation and investigation that kind of builds this very strong foundation that I can stand on. Hmm. I love that. And okay, can you tell us a little bit? I know there's a lot going on on the chart, but when you're looking at the chart and you see a gate, or I don't know if there's a gate or a channel that's lit up, mm-hmm. what does that mean? So that's a quality that you have defined. That's something that you have consistent in your chart. So you'll see channels are when you have two gates together. And if you have a channel, it defines two centers. A gate is half of a channel. But essentially, these are traits and qualities that show up in a way that's consistent and reliable for you. It's what your true self is. It's something that throughout your life, this is always something that you're going to carry and always something that you're expressing out into the world. Okay. So if you have a gate in your chart, then those traits are still there. But if you have a channel, then they might be strengthened or amplified. Yeah. So the channels are going to be what has the greatest influence, but whenever you have a gate in a defined center, so a colored in center has a colored in gate hanging off of it, that really adds to the flavor of how that shows up for you. Whereas if you have a gate in an open center, that's still a part of your design. It just shows up inconsistently because it's not always active. The center is open. So it might show up in relationship or when it's activated by the transits, but it's not something that you can count on to always be part of you in the same way. Got it. So you said it could be activated by the transits or by a relationship. So let's say if someone else had that activated that you were in relationship with, that could potentially activate that gate. Yeah. So if you have a gate in a dormant center and then you come into relationship with somebody who has the other half of that channel, it creates what's called an electromagnetic connection. So in that relationship, you would then experience the qualities of those gates in relation to the other half of the channel that that other person breaks. So it can be an interesting thing that certain relationships kind of call out otherwise dormant parts of us in unique ways. Each gate has hundreds of different variations once you get down to the deeper layers of it. So Somebody can have gate, two people can have gate fives, but it could be totally different. It could be in a different line. There's also something called base color and tone. So you get to, with one hanging gate, experience all the different flavors of connection by connecting with so many different people who have that kind of like companionship gate in so many different variations. Wow, that is fascinating. What is a misconception that people have about human design? The first thing that comes to mind is, well, at its essence, human design is all about surrender. So human design is an experiment. And the core hypothesis is that your mind is not here to make your decisions for you. Your mind is not here to be the driver in your life. Your mind is here to surrender as the passenger. It's the body that makes the decisions, but it's actually life making decisions through you. So it is all about attuning to your body's intelligence to notice the direction that your body naturally wants to move in. So there is kind of this concept of surrender, stop trying to control, stop trying to manipulate, surrender to what 
is in highest alignment for you, which your mind can't figure out. And what I see a lot is use your human design to get what your mind thinks that you want in your life. It seems kind of like hack your human design to make a lot of money or grow your Instagram followers or manifest your fantasies. And you can kind of like manipulate human design in that way. There is this full separate wing of human design called the BG5 Business Institute, which essentially is that. It's not about waking up or surrendering. It's how to use your human design to make a team more functional and to make more money. But ultimately, pure human design, the essence of it is surrender. So anytime you see somebody teaching, use your human design to manifest this, it's fine. It's good for some people. It's just not really pure human design. Got it. And going off of that, are manifestors and manifesting generators better at manifesting than the other types? Not really. (laughs) So we have all these ideas about the word manifest and what it means. People are obsessed with the word manifestation. We're really obsessed with this concept of manifesting. And in human design, it means something different. So mechanically, being a manifester or a manifesting generator, it means that you have your throat connected to one of the motor centers. But essentially, manifestors are here to initiate. So that's basically what it means. Everybody manifests. Everybody makes things happen in their life. But for projectors, it happens through an invitation. For generators or manifesting generators, they manifest in response. So they align with whatever is meant for them, whether that's a relationship or a house or a job or like a traveling experience, anything that is truly meant for them happens in response. It's not about creating this vision and thinking up what you want and then going to take action steps to make it happen. And even for manifestors, it's not about manifesting what you think you want. It's about really getting out of the way so that what wants to be birthed through you can emerge. So I don't manifest what my mind wants to manifest. It's this constant practice of getting out of my mind and into my body and watching what wants to come through me. Very interesting. Let's get a little bit more into just some of the specifics of just various parts of the chart. So what what does the incarnation cross represent? And I don't know, like, I don't want to get too crazy into this because I know there are so many things, but like, I guess where, where would you say are like the most important aspects of your chart to understand, obviously, other than your energy type? So the most important part is strategy and authority. So your type determines your strategy and then your authority is how you make your best decisions. And then incarnation cross is interesting, but it is, it does kind of come with a disclaimer. So a lot of people really, really want to know their purpose and the incarnation cross, people can get really hooked on that. They can hear this one liner about what they incarnated to do and then get really in their head about it and go and try and make it happen. Your incarnation cross isn't something that you work towards consciously. It's something that the more that you are surrendered to your strategy and authority, you just naturally begin to live it. It just starts to take over your life. So it can be interesting to learn about it. But ultimately, I think knowing what centers you have open can be super, super important just because that helps you 
to become aware of your conditioning themes. So once you know that you have an open emotional center, the open emotional center has this theme of avoiding truth and confrontation sometimes or people pleasing. That is such a big can of worms that just knowing that, then you can go unpack that and work on that. So there's so much there just in the surface of the chart that oftentimes, especially if you have an open head in Ajna, you easily get distracted by information. It can be so tempting or an open G, you really, really want to know your purpose and your direction. People really want to understand all the specifics. They want all of the answers. They want somebody to tell them the future, to look at all their relationship charts and tell them if the relationship is going to work. And the whole point of it is that that's not what it's about. It's about letting go of the mind's need to figure everything out, noticing these patterns that you have that are conditioning. It's not actually you connecting to your body so that you can surrender and watch as your life unfolds as it is authentically meant to. Yeah, that is so funny you say that because I've definitely gone into readings before thinking like, wow, this person's going to have all the answers for me, you know, and like they're going to tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. (laughs) Yeah. So I could totally see that. And it is such an important reminder just to keep coming back to the body and to like the mind doesn't need to always like figure everything out, even though we desperately want it to. Yeah. Also curious, what are these arrows on the top of the chart? Those are called variable. That is a deeper layer. I wouldn't recommend starting with that, but essentially it relates to how you process information, how you digest food. That's a whole other avenue to go down. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And I have heard about the environment. I know my environment is kitchens, which is interesting. And uh, yeah, I guess the environment, does that just pertain to like where you feel the most creative or where you feel the most in your essence? So there are different interpretations. I would recommend it's really easy to get in your head about your environment. I don't recommend starting with that unless you feel a strong resonance with it. Kitchens refers to environments where kind of like a kitchen where people are coming together and cooking something and creating something together. It's that sort of energy. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I do feel that that's like a place where it's a lot of community and I feel that that's like definitely tied to my purpose in some way is to like bring communities together. So, um, so I do resonate with that and that's why I was curious. Um, Yeah. You're very, tribal also you have your one channel is the channel of transformation which is a design of being driven and it's all about this drive to transform and rise up and to bring all your friends with you to really support your tribe so it's kind of a continuity in your chart that you're very driven you want to support your people you want to be recognized for your drive and you work well in environments where people are collaborating and mixing and working together that's interesting and where do you see that in my chart the channel of transformation, that's the one channel that you have. So that's what connects your root center to your spleen. Oh, okay. Without that, you would be a reflector. 3254. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's so interesting. What do you feel that you resonate most with in your chart and, and within human design? Like, what do you feel that you have had to also break free from? It was really 
enlightening to learn that I'm a manifester because it just made so much sense. And it just, I'm, I'm stumbling here because it was really profound to, especially looking at the manifester childhood, manifestors do not like to be controlled in any way. Manifestors come into the world and they are this impactful, unpredictable force that they have what's called this dense repelling aura. It's kind of hard to get in there. Manifestors are very self-contained agents and they're here to really break the mold. And I grew up in a family that was very traditional. So my parents are both splenic projectors and they're very Jewish, lots of rules. And I just wasn't having any of that. And eventually they surrendered. So like midway through my life, I think I was in high school, they realized we, she is not responding well to all these rules. I was a super rebellious child. They realized that if they kept putting all these rules on me, like they were going to lose the relationship or they were worried about that. So they just completely let go and decided as long as this isn't a matter of safety, we're going to let her do what she wants and try and rebuild the relationship so that she feels comfortable letting us in on what she's doing. So just reading about manifestors as children, it just made so much sense because typically they'll have an experience like that. And I was very lucky that my parents did finally loosen their grip. So manifestors, because they don't like to be controlled, they don't like to be told what to do. You tell a manifestor to do something and their immediate reaction is anger and wanting to do the opposite. We can be kind of challenging. Sometimes the way we go is rebellion, which is what I did. Sometimes manifestors go the route of becoming really passive and disconnected from their power and letting people tell them what to do all the time. But it is an intense type to be. And just so learning about that and learning how to work with that, learning about my impact on others and how to communicate. Also just learning how my energy operates, that I'm not a generator. At the time when I found human design, I... So when I was younger, I was diagnosed with ADHD and was on ADHD medication for around 10 years. And I was kind of at my peak of it. I was using so many stimulants because I just thought that I should have all this consistent energy. And I don't. I thought that I need to always be busy. I need to always be doing something. So it's been really helpful to use my chart as a tool in learning how to work with the amount of energy that I naturally have. And trust that it is enough in order to fulfill my purpose instead of this thought that was running me like I need more energy than this I need more stimulants um, I need to be able to work like a manifesting generator which I'm not able to so it's been super super so, so much of it has been super helpful but in learning that I'm emotional and really starting to build a relationship with my emotional authority has been profound knowing that I impact people emotionally it, it's all been really helpful and it's taken a lot of time also. I have hooked on this. Yeah. So I'm curious too, you mentioned you're an emotional authority. Have you always been very expressive emotionally and very comfortable with that side or did it take a while for you to kind of like open up to that or what's your journey been with that? I'm pretty sure I've always felt very emotional. Like, obviously, sometimes I feel more comfortable sharing about my emotions and sometimes I don't. But it didn't surprise me to learn that I am an emotional being. And I read on Instagram that you have had some ayahuasca journeys. How has that been? I love ayahuasca. I 
kind of laugh as I say that because it's not always very fun. But (laughs) where to start with that? Essentially, ayahuasca has been one of the most profound tools in my deconditioning because it just brings everything up. And there are just things that we all carry, certain patterns or mechanisms or traumas or whatever it is, things that get stored in our body or in our mind or in our system that are just creating this tension and discomfort as you move through the world with them. With ayahuasca, you just go straight into it and feel it in this very visceral way. But by actually feeling it and confronting it and having that humility, you can actually get free from it. And then you still have to do the integration work afterwards. But ayahuasca has been a very powerful ally in that way. And I think also what my post was about was about learning how to hold sensation. It's been a really powerful practice with my nervous system and really learning how to watch my mind and watch what happens as this intense experience is happening, where my mind wants to create stories or go into victim or want it to be over and just watching the different things my mind does and learning how to instead hold my power, breathe, not go into story. Um, It's just, it's a profound practice that helps me when things get intense when I'm sober. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, I mean, I know that I love to go into story in my mind and making up all these narratives and, you know, it can lead to ruminating and all of that, but it's such a good, powerful reminder to literally sit in your power and know that you don't need to identify with all of the thoughts that are, and narratives that are going through your mind. So I love that you found ayahuasca as kind of like an outlet for that yeah we teach what we need to learn human design is all about getting out of your mind so that your mind isn't controlling your life i have a very active mind that is constantly creating challenges that don't have to be there so it's just been so humbling and beautiful to see all the different ways that my mind will create a story that just isn't real at all and then i get hooked on that story and then i'm spinning with that story when actually if I were to instead of doing that be present in my body and in the experience that I'm having there's absolutely nothing wrong and actually I'm having an enjoyable pleasurable experience it's just my mind wants to run away and create stories so human design has been a really helpful map for that practice of being with what is and being present that's beautiful and you are so wise with all the human design stuff, and it seems like you are really living in your design. Do you have any advice for anyone who feels like they are very out of alignment with their design? The first piece of advice is just to have grace with yourself, because we live in such a homogenized world that we are all carrying so much conditioning. So it can be really on one level permission giving to hear about your design, and it can also be kind of jarring and disorienting to realize how far from it you are sometimes. Like I appreciate the reflection that seems like I'm living my design and me as the first line, always seeking a strong foundation, kind of like the first line has this imposter syndrome. I, and I I just feel like I have so much more to go and, but I've made so much progress. So it's just one, like giving yourself permission. Human design as a deconditioning process takes seven years. So it takes seven years for all the cells in your body to fully regenerate. So it's 
the first thing is not expecting it to happen immediately. So you learn that you're a projector. You're not supposed to work that much. You're supposed to be recognized and you look around at your life and you're overworking and you don't feel like you're recognized or you're a generator and you learn that you're supposed to do what lights you up and feel satisfied. And you look at your life and you're just so deeply frustrated every day. That can be really challenging to hold, but waking up to that is the first step. And then it's really helpful to really prioritize your deconditioning. So I like to put myself in communities, some of them are human design communities, some of them art, where I am surrounded by people who are on the similar path because it can get intense when you're breaking free from what you know. You have to really leave what's comfortable and trust. There is this huge element of trust and it doesn't come immediately. It's a muscle that you strengthen being able to trust that if you do what actually feels most authentic in your body, you will still be okay. You will still have food to eat. You will still have relationships. Your life might change, but you will ultimately experience so much deeper satisfaction or peace or success or surprise or whatever your signature is, but definitely having community. I also, I'm about to launch a group course called the Living Your Design Workshop. So just a little plug for that. That'll be a deconditioning incubator of sorts and an initiation into human design. So give yourself time. Be gentle with yourself. Also put yourself in spaces where you're doing the work. And I recommend ayahuasca. (laughs) (laughs) I love that all. And yeah, I, I would love for you to let us know what's going on for you right now. What are you promoting? Do you have anything exciting going on? I know you just mentioned a little bit, but any offerings? I know everyone should book a reading with you, but what else do you have to offer? So in addition to giving individual readings, I also offer partnership sessions. And I am starting to open to three-month coaching containers. So with that, it's kind of like you were talking about a lot of people hear their design feel like, oh, this sounds great, but I'm so far from this. How, how do I get closer? What do I do now? That's consistent support as you start to experiment and we get to go a lot deeper in that way. So if that sounds exciting to you, I would love to connect around that. And also I have a group program that's coming up called Living Your Design, name tentative, but essentially that will be kind of an incubator to not only start to embody your own design, but also it'll teach you kind of the basics of any chart. So the types, the centers, the authorities, so that you can pull up any chart, whether it's a friend or a client and just understand the foundation of it. Amazing. And how can people get in touch with you? Instagram is the best way at this time. I'm Brie Rubin with an underscore before and an underscore after. Okay. And I'll definitely put that in the show notes. And thank you so much, Bree. This was such a fun, exciting conversation. I hope that everyone kind of has a better understanding of, you know, if, if you're a beginner on human design and wants to dig deeper into your chart and is curious to book a reading with you. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun for me too. All right. Bye everyone. <laughs>